Welcome to our Bible Institute. Most of you know by now, but I'd like to say we have a Bible Institute here at the Vineyard. We started it in uh, 2014. Had the idea we should start a little institute and start training people. And uh, five years later, as of the other day, I looked, there's 802 students now around the world, um, which means we grew by 200 students over the last year. I looked at the records this time. Last year we were at 600. So 200 students added. Need to watch them come in from all over and get excited about an opportunity to um, get a good, uh, solid biblical education. And then, you know, what makes us different from most places is it's all free. So uh, for a lot of people, that's a big deal. And there's good courses. There's 115 courses or so. We add to that. And anybody here that would like to pursue a degree, a Bible degree, an associate's or a, a bachelor's degree, you can do that just by registering. And... Uh, we make these Wednesday night uh, courses, and we also do the weekends. Those become courses as well. Uh, we just started doing that this year. So if you're coming anyway, you just got to do a little extra work if you want to count towards a degree. And uh, 20 courses completed will earn you a, uh, an associate's degree, and 40 will earn you a bachelor's degree. And you can go at your own pace. So anyway, it's a, it's a great deal and a great program. And you can just come and hang out or take any of the courses that you want. You don't need to be working towards a degree if you ever have an interest. Just go register and sign in and take courses, and you will learn a lot of stuff. We're very happy to have quite a few graduates and uh, excited to be able to offer that. So right now, we're doing a course, a study called the um, Epistles of Paul, and we've been taking our time to sort of do a survey of uh, these, these epistles that Paul wrote, these letters that Paul wrote to the, uh, to the churches. And um, we've looked at quite a few already. I think we have Philippians to do, Colossians, and then First and Second Thessalonians, and we'll have done um, Paul's epistles. Uh, Paul, you know, really did a, the bulk of the writing to the early church. Um, the early church was, you know, the church was brand new when, when Paul started writing these letters, and most of them are written in response to questions that were sent to him. So it's, I think it helps if you get, you know, context in that Paul um, went on missionary journeys and, and, and as he traveled on these journeys he would go places as God led him and he would begin to preach the gospel. Very similar pattern. In most places he, he always he went to a synagogue first. He began to preach there in a synagogue to uh, the Jewish folks who were there. And there was, um, there was almost always in the synagogues a, a separate section for people that were, that were God-fearers. They weren't Jewish but they, they believed in... Um, God, and um, so they were allowed a certain section, and, and he would preach, and, and some of the Jewish people would, would usually come to know Jesus, and some of these God-fears would come to know Jesus, and then the synagogue would almost invariably kick Paul out um, fairly quickly, and so he would go, and he would start having, you know, meetings uh, somewhere in that town or city, in people's homes or in a hall or something, and as he preached the gospel, the church would grow. And then he generally faced tremendous persecution from anywhere he was, and he would get run out of town. That's pretty much his pattern. It would happen within a few weeks. Sometimes he got to stay a little longer. I think the longest place he stayed at any one place was about three years before he had to go. So uh, he would run out, and so he'd leave kind of in a hurry with what was there. Uh, and he would have um, sort of figured out who the leaders were, you know, who God was anointing to be leaders just in that time that he had with them, and he would train them. And he would leave with them the gospel, all that they had been able to absorb in the time that he was there, just preach that. And they would begin to do that. And then 
as questions arose, they would know where he was. They would send letters or messengers or somebody and say, these are the problems we're having or these are situations we're facing or this is going on. What do we need to do? And he would write back to those situations. And um, in, in a lot of these letters, he's dealing with a group that, that were called the Judaizers. You need to remember them. They, they cause a lot of issues in that what they did was they would go into one of these churches where, that were primarily Gentile by this time uh, and they would tell these believers that they needed to not only know Jesus, they also needed to follow the law. And this was a, a direct conflict to everything that Paul had taught and he deals with a lot. Um, they, would, they would just make you know, all these rules and regulations and it was, it was detrimental to the early church. And Paul said, you know, it's grace. Uh, it's not the law. If the law had worked, we wouldn't have need Jesus. That's, that's kind of his point. But the reason you need to know about the Judaizers is they still exist and they, they're still in operation and they still try and take... Uh, uh, they forget grace and they try and make it all about following uh, a bunch of rules and regulations. And um, that tendency exists still in, in varying degrees to this day, full-on Judaizers to our tendency to sort of want to add things to the cross. And not that long ago I talked about that and, and I said we have a tendency to be cross plusers. Um, you know, it's, the cross is what we need. We need Jesus. That's, that's what we need. And then because of Jesus we have the Holy Spirit and if we're paying attention the Holy Spirit leads and guides us into everything. But uh, there's a tendency for us to add things to that. Well, you need Jesus plus here's a couple other things you got to do. And, I, you know, we, we have to constantly evaluate our own tendency to cross plus and see what we're doing because we, we start to get off the mark there. So a, a lot of these letters are written in response to that. Philippians, he actually writes the letter to the Philippians um, and in, in this particular letter the Philippians are actually doing pretty good. So he's got a group in, in Philippi that are um, coming along very well, very sort of a mature group of believers. Uh, they have different issues than a lot of the places he had to write to and, and uh, you know, remember the church really kind of kicked off back in Acts with the Philippian jailer. Remember that whole thing? With a, I told you that story a lot. And, uh, and it's built up and it's grown and they're doing pretty well. And uh, Paul has a very good relationship with that church. And so he's writing to them just to encourage them at this point to warn them once again about the Judaizers. We'll see that. And just to, um, you know, give them encouragement to press on and to keep moving forward with everything that goes on in the world around us. And there's just a few passages that I sort of want to spend our time on today and we'll talk about that uh, stick out to me in Philippians. We're also uh, concurrently right now on our weekend messages. I'm in Philippians as well. So it, I like it when they sort of um, come together like that. That's kind of handy. But uh, in Philippians 1.6, this is a great verse. It says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And, and that this is a very um, important statement for us to understand because sometimes I, I think we, we, we might touch to feel discouraged about how we're doing or how things are going or, you know, sort of the things that we're going through in life. Um, sometimes we might get a little discouraged or we, and we might think we should be further along in the process. But... Um, the reality is that God continues to work for us and in us throughout our entire lives. And that, that's very good news. He's not, he's not done with you yet. Um, and, and you have not yet arrived 
and, and you won't until you are with Him forever. So this work that, that uh, it started, you know, it began at the cross when Jesus died for our, our sins. He took our place. And then it started in us when we first believed and, and it continues in us as we yield to the Holy Spirit. So this process, you know this process because I talk about it often, but let's just sort of do a quick, uh, quick understanding. I, these are some things that I want you to have ingrained in you that you know, uh, and this is one of them. It's the idea of salvation, and with salvation, we, we are saved, and we're being saved, and we will be saved. And that the three words that go along with that are justification, sanctification, and glorification. And this process of this work continuing us is sanctification. But how does that all fit together? So justification happens. Uh, you are saved when you give your life to Jesus. When, when you ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, when you realize um, that, that you've sinned and that your sin has separated you from God and, and you respond in faith to the good news, the gospel message. That's one of the other things you have to know is what the gospel is. And so if you hasn't registered in your knower yet when I say gospel, the best verses I know to hold, to hold on to that is 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. That, that Christ died for our sins according to the, to the scriptures, that he, he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what you have to hear and respond to in faith in, in order to, to be saved. So when we hear that and we get that concept that our sin has separated us from God and we ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of our lives, we are saved, justified. And that's the coolest thing, that we're justified like it. It's just as if I'd never sinned, justified. Because that's how God sees us once we come to Christ. He sees us in the perfection of His Son. And that's liberating and that's life-giving and that changes everything. Because that's how He's viewing us already, justified, just as if we'd never sinned. No, the reality is, uh, and when we're honest, we get that, that that's, we still struggle. We still have some, you know, we still do things we shouldn't do. We still are sinning. And so even though he's choosing to see us that way in the perfection of his son, another process happens. So when you're saved and when you give your life to Jesus, another amazing gift, another thing that happens is that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we talk about a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. And what the Holy Spirit does is He leads and guides us and He's working us through this process of sanctification. Sanctification. And so um, it's an ongoing process. And it happens throughout the course of our lives as we continually yield to the Holy Spirit. And He, he keeps you know, changing us over time. My hope would be that as you examine your own life, you can see change is constantly happening. That... that um, even if you're, if you're a new believer, you can look back, you know, in very short increments and see that there's significant changes in your life that are taking place, um, you know, almost monthly or every six months. Or You can go back and think, well, I was quite different back then than I am now. And, and as you continue on in your walk, so this is, uh, I, I've been a, I got saved in 1985, so 30, 34 years, whatever it is now, long time. Um, the... There's changes that I can see now. I can see huge change from when I started, but I can still see change happening if I just do a, a year book, like, you know, just look back a year and I can see that things are changing in my life because it's ongoing. And that process continues throughout the course of your life. You, you don't arrive until you're with Jesus. So either you go to be with Him or He comes for us, whichever comes first. And at that point then, we, we will be saved. That's glorification. We're glorified. And that's when all the good stuff happens and 
new bodies and all that cool stuff is going to take place. So, so we are saved, justified. We're being saved, sanctified. We will be saved, glorified. That's the idea of what's taking place. And in that passage in Philippians 1.6, it's a picture of that, uh, that process of sanctification. And so, um, you know, when God, I like it, when God starts a project, He'll finish it. And you can trust in that. And even though we, we some, some, I don't, maybe I shouldn't speak for everybody. I, sometimes I can be a slow learner with certain things in my life. But He's faithful. And He keeps, keeps working on them. And that's a very good thing. So He promises to finish the work He started. All right, another great passage. And we're actually going to do this passage on Sunday. Uh, you know what this Sunday is, right? Palm Sunday. And, and I love this too, so this, this verse in Philippians 2 really works well for Palm Sunday. Let me read it to you, uh, verses 5 through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, those verses actually uh, compose that from that passage, um, the early church made that sort of one of the earliest liturgies um, that they had. So they would, they would recite these verses um, and, and they were used as a confession of faith because what makes, what's very clear in those verses is that Jesus is God. And, and um, in this confession of the early church, it affirmed the pre-existence of Jesus as God. It, it affirms His incarnation as a true human being. It affirms His death on the cross. Um, it affirms His resurrection and His coming again to be revealed as Lord of all. So it's a powerful passage that we see. And I, I love that um, we see the humility of Jesus and His willingness to come. And, and how, how amazing it is. Uh, this, this weekend, I'm going to tie that in to the triumphal entry. And uh, there's some really neat things that are happening in there. But, but you know, the, the humility of Jesus. And we talk last week uh, on, on the weekend... I said, you know, in Philippians, uh, we, we learn a, again about loving God and loving others and, and how, you know, it's not all about us. And, and there's some, some changes in our thinking that have to take place. And the, that, that's one of the big changes that has to happen over the course of our lives in this process of sanctification is, is getting us out of the center of the story, that this is His story. And, and He's invited us into His story, and our stories matter, and, and that, that He's the noun and we're the adjectives, and that we have to make this, this shift, uh, this paradigm shift, because we're used to us being the center of the story. And we get back there very quickly. Almost immediately every day, you will put yourself right back in the center of the story. And, and in, in order to experience life, the, the kind of life that Jesus came for, we, we can't live there in the center. It's got to be Him in the center of the story. And, and so in Philippians, to, to do that, again, it's, it's the importance of loving God and loving others kind of shines through the message. And, and humility, I say a lot to say this, humility to me is the characteristic um, or the attitude, if you would, that best displays loving God and loving others. 
Because humility really gets you out of the center of the story. And, and that's why it's so important. And so this is Jesus. When you think about what Jesus has done, how, how he, he came for us from, from that process, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Think about what Jesus did and how he, he left uh, he, he left this idea, this, the, this place. He's already there with the Father and the, the Holy Spirit and this perfect place. You think of it as he stepped down out of heaven, if you would. And, and he came for us. Because in that perfection there, and, and it's, this is the amazing part, see? Because there's this perfect harmony, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, in the Trinity. And yet something was missing that he came for. And, and so he had everything. Uh, except you. I love that thought, that, that you were missing, that we were missing, that he wants relationship with us. And so everything that he did, he did for us uh, when he came. And, and he took on, you know, uh, our, our nature, our flesh. He took it on and, and then lived perfectly, lived the perfect life that we couldn't, and then died for us. He, he died our death uh, and then defeated death and rose again so that we have this hope of eternal life. But uh, the, the humility in that and the humility displayed when he goes into town uh, this coming uh, Sunday, on Palm Sunday, uh, riding on a donkey, we'll talk about that, and, and uh, just his response to everything that's going on because he knows what the journey is. And, and to have to deal with the, 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 the change in the crowd, you know, they're they're calling him in and they're, they're, they start to quote from Psalm 118. If you get a chance before we can read Psalm 118. And they start to call from Psalm 118, verse 26, blessed be the, the name of the Lord. You know, the whole thing. And they're, they're waving palm branches and they're, they're laying them down in front of them. And, and they, they're believing, you know, this is Messiah because he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Pretty big deal, right? And, and they're thinking, the crowd is thinking, He's finally going to deliver us from the Romans. That's all they could think of. They, they didn't want a Savior for their sins. They wanted someone to deliver them from the Romans. And, and that's all they were looking for. And when they realized by the end of the week he wasn't going to do that, the same crowd quit, quit shouting his praises and started shouting crucify him. And Jesus had to deal with that, all of that. Uh, and, and he did it for us. And so we have to be aware of that because there's something significant in that process uh, of what he's done for us. So, you know, as we head into this next week, be thinking about that. Then in Philippians 3, he's going to deal with the Judaizers. And uh, he's, you've got you to love Paul, verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Because they were insisting that, that these Gentiles needed to be circumcised. Paul said that's not true. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Paul is dealing there with um, legalism and 
uh, as I said in the, in the introduction, that our tendency to move back towards legalism. Uh, the, the church has that tendency, and because we're the church, we have that tendency. Uh, and, and that um, the problem, there's lots of problems, but the biggest problem with legalism, it's a killjoy. And when people start to become serious rule followers instead of people that are trying to walk this thing out yielding to the Holy Spirit, what happens is they lose their joy. There's no joy. And, and there's, there's nothing that attracts other people. And so, so when, when the church tends to get very legalistic, you, you see that they stop having impact uh, in the world around us because it's not what the world's looking for. The world desperately needs to know Jesus. Uh, they need to know the love of God. They, and that only happens when, when they experience grace. And so uh, grace is this amazing gift. It's how grace by faith is what, you know, it's how we're saved. It's, it's, it's not by our works because then we would boast about it. It's only because of what He's done. And the reality of that and us taking that in, that we, we couldn't earn our salvation, why would we think we have to try and earn it to keep it, uh, which is the tendency we have to move back to legalism. Something changes in the process. And yet, it's a gift. But when you really get it, some people say, well, if you make it, you know, uh, easy. And the thing is, salvation, it, it's, Bonhoeffer said, salvation is so easy because it costs, it costs God so much. I love that. Because the way in is just a matter of faith by grace. But, but what happens when you're, when you're in relationship with Jesus, when you really are in, you don't look for shortcuts to go and do things that you shouldn't do. You're not. It's not how it works. When, when you're, you understand, you're filled with the Spirit, your heart's desire is to do the next right thing. It really is. Sometimes we don't do that. And, and He's at work in us because we're in process. But we're, as believers, you're not looking for shortcuts to get away with stuff. That it's, there's no life in them anyway. So, so rather than, than understanding that we're a work in progress and the Holy Spirit is working in us, um, often what we'll try and do is throw a bunch of laws on things, a bunch of rules on things that, that don't work. Because when, when, unfortunately, when someone tells you, gives you a bunch of rules, you almost immediately, because of your sin nature, start looking for ways to break them without letting anybody know. And you're, you're very intelligent when it comes to that. Most of us are very good about trying to figure out how we, can, how we can sort of look like we're doing that but not doing what we're supposed to do. And yet life is different with the Holy Spirit because when you're being led by the Spirit, you get that inner witness of what you're supposed to be doing. You know. And, and you respond to it or you don't, but you know. And, and uh, there's a difference in that life. But that's where life is. There's joy in that kind of life. And so... This problem, though, it's not new. It's been going on for 2,000 years, and Paul was dealing with it back then. How do you know when you're sort of moving in that direction? Um, you get very self-righteous, and you start comparing yourself to others. And, you know, I've, I introduced you to some, uh, a thing I call uh, the, the sin scale, and that's not, don't try and find that in your Bible. It's a Steve-ism, okay? So, but, but the sin scale is, we start sort of, you know, we, we have a way of looking at sin and well, this, this is, those are really bad and these aren't quite as bad and we toss them on a scale and we sort of think ours are not quite as bad as some of these other people and then we look for people that we think are really bad and we well, I'm not that bad. But, but that's legalistic because there's no such thing as a sin scale. It's all sin. And, um, you know, we're, we're to be yielding all those things to the Holy Spirit so we don't continue to do them. 
And particularly when it comes to other people, it's so easy to judge other people, but we're supposed to love other people. And once you start judging them, you stop loving them. And, and you're, you're not the judge. None of us are. We're not the judge. It's, it's between Him. And so, you know, th- this idea of, of walking out in grace, I always tell you this, you know, it, it allows us to look at people and see the beauty of their potential. And that, that you know, that's how God sees us because we're, we're not arrived yet. And, and so that, that sort of life, you know, it's full of grace and it's full of love and it makes a difference. It impacts people. Because people know when they're being judged. You know it when someone's judging you, don't Yeah. So we're not supposed to do that. And then, one of my favorite passages. Have I said that about every passage so far? Philippians 4, 4 through 8. You guys should know this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Those are powerful verses. Each one of them is, is powerful and you know, I, ju- I just love to think about it. Paul, remember too, Paul's writing this from prison. So when he says something like rejoice in the Lord always and then doubles up down, doubles down by going again, I'll say, make sure you hear what I'm saying. Again, I say rejoice. That there's something about this life that even in the midst of the most durf- difficult circumstances that we face, and we all face them, that deep in your soul, there should be a place where there's still a- an ability to rejoice because you know you're God's and you know He's good, and He's got you forever. And, and those under, that understanding isn't a pass on difficulties in this life, but it's a, it's a settledness that allows us to experience life in, in a way that, that many people can't, because we, we've got a good God, and He's got us, and He's for us, and so we rejoice. And, and when we can do that, then, you know, that idea of let your gentleness be evident to all. There's something about uh, a gentle person that, that impacts people. And, and, you know, a gentle person is, is more loving and more kind. It doesn't mean we're, we're pushed around or walked over, but, but we can, you know, operate in this world without that hard edge that so many people are used to and, and just trust Him. And, and then, you know, verse 6, I tell you, this is my, my go-to verse every day. This verse, numerous times, do not be anxious about anything. When do I, when do I say that verse to myself? Every time I start to my, feel myself get anxious. And, and instead of, it's such a great lifesaver, this verse. Because you know that feeling when you, when you get anxious about something. could be a phone call or something you read or something that somebody says and you can feel it. And if you, if you can tap into when you feel it and, and it begins that, what it generally begins is this sort of worried thought process that, that we're so good at. And we, we start to think about all the potential negative outcomes from whatever we just heard. But it's just something that's popped on us. But if we can get to this verse, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's just this, this call for us to don't go to the worry route. Worry, remember, worry doesn't do you any good. The, the huge percentage of stuff you worry about never happens. And, and it doesn't change anything anyway. But prayer, that's why we go to prayer. Prayer is effective. Prayer, prayer changes things. Prayer, you know, sometimes God moves in response to prayer and changes circumstance. A lot of times what God does in response to prayer is He changes us. 
and, and both are effective. And so instead of worrying, pray. And then the peace of God that transcends all understanding, that, that there's a peace that we, ha- we can experience even when it, everything around us would tell us that you shouldn't be able to have peace, but we can have it. It, it surpasses understanding. Uh, that's what we have in our life. And it guards your hearts and your minds. So that, that sort of feeling in your gut is what they're talking about there. It, it will stop that. And then that your minds, that all those thoughts that you go off on, it takes care of those too. And that's the peace of God that trans understanding. And then, you know, think about the things that you should be thinking about, the true stuff, the noble stuff, the right stuff, who God is, how good He is, all those things, the amazing life that you have. And uh, that's, a, that's a really great passage. You should, if you have never memorized that, that's one you should have in the bank um, because you'll use it very often. So uh, having said all that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up for this evening because we're going we're gonna to get set up for VBS. But if you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.